Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Hey everyone, I am really happy to be back with an interview. This episode, I was joined again by Norway-based evolutionary astrologer Sol Jonasson to talk about spiritual discernment. We recorded this conversation under the transit of Mercury and Pisces applying to Neptune and Pisces some weeks back, which felt like a really good time to talk about something like spiritual discernment. Sol and I both have Mercury and Pisces. You may notice a lot of my guests incidentally end up having that placement, And at the end of our last conversation on Pluto and Libra, which was episode 88, we were talking about being Mercury and Pisces people and how this relates to what we've come to learn about spiritual discernment. And so this felt like the time, that transit, to come back and pick up this thread. One of the main ways we explored spiritual discernment in this conversation was through the cultivation of psychological self-awareness, right? So if we're in this space of channeling or picking up information from the field, it's going through the filter of our own consciousness. So understanding our own biases or agendas and developing the skill of putting those things to the side could help clarify our vision. We discuss this and more, such as knowing our limitations, checking ego inflation, and even the concept of slowing down time. A little bit about Soul before we begin. Soul with Yonason is an evolutionary astrologer who has been practicing professionally since 1999, and during that time has spent a lot of time researching the asteroids delving into Chiron and focused her lens in on the particular capacity astrology is as a healing tool to gain better health, stronger self-awareness, and to reinstate a spiritual connection. Her work ranges from lecturing, teaching, seeing clients, and researching astrology. She has hosted several astrology conferences in Oslo and has been working with both OPA and ESAR for many years. She has also been a teacher at several schools and continues to have a group of students that she mentors online. She has lectured at Norwalk, UAC, River of, River of Stars, IVC, Astrology Rising, and several other international conferences. She currently writes astrology for one of Norway's biggest magazines, KK. Currently, she is living with her two children in beautiful Bergen, Norway. And you can find her contact info in the show notes, and you can enjoy our conversation now. Welcome, everyone. I'm here with Sol Yonason, who was on this podcast earlier. We discussed the Pluto and Libra generation and overall, like a depth perspective in Libra. And towards the end of the conversation, we ended up talking about both being Mercury and Pisces and about developing, you know, one's spiritual gifts and spiritual discernment. 
And that was a thread that needed to be picked back up. It's Mercury and Pisces. Mercury is applying to Neptune. So now felt like a perfect time to connect on it. And um, before we, you know, dive into that, uh, how are you doing? How's your Mercury return going? Well, I haven't, um, then, yeah. <laughs> I haven't lost any keys yet, which is a good thing. I normally yeah. lose a few keys, but this time I managed to keep them all in order. So that's a good thing. It's improving. Cool. Hmm. I think that we're like, because we're used to Mercury and Pisces, we have hmm. an easier experience of it than people report having. Oh, definitely. You get used to your planets, you know, you get used to your elements. And for me, this is, uh, well, it, it's still enhancing a little bit, you know, it's taking, depending on, you know, a little bit where it, how it, the dynamics in the chart, and it happens to be the ruler of my south node. So I have, I have a lot to learn from this particular um, Mercury in Pisces, you know, and uh, Yesterday also it was conjunct Jupiter, and that's even more interesting because that was the ruler of both my nodes. And I gave it quite a bit of thought what that has, you know, what that kind of pertains to. So it's been very interesting this time around. I've learned a lot, I feel. Um, wow. Wait, so mm. are your nodes Gemini Sagittarius or Virgo Pisces? Gemini Sagittarius, yes. Awesome. Yeah. So what was the, what did you learn? when Mercury and Jupiter came together? Well, you know, you have the chameleon uh, that belongs to, you know, people who are very sensitive are also capable of being pretty adaptable. You know, the, the mutable quality in itself has to do with knowledge and, and awareness and, and uh, information about your surroundings and your environment in a way. And especially Gemini is super good with that, you know, always being able to sort of read the room in a way. But in that reading the room, um, it could become a little bit too cautious and uh, maybe not uh, in a typical Mercury, Mercury in Pisces, maybe not finish the sentences or being too soft on people when you try to kind of explain something or what you see or how you perceive things. The psychic impressions, for example, you know, like um, you can pick up stuff and not be completely um, decided whether you should share it or not, whether it's... Um, causing some unwanted reactions. And that's a thing Gemini would want to steer clear of. It's like, oh, dear Lord, I'm not sure they like me now, you know, because I was too Jupiterian or too direct or too truthful. But that uh, North Node, in, in, and it's also in my 12th house, it's also pointing to the need to be um, um, uh, trust the intuition, you know, really just start trusting it and, and um, finding the right words, you know, giving it a bit of time instead of just being reactive as Gemini can be in the moment, you know, just acting there and then and then thinking afterwards, oh, well, you know, I could have, you know, I could have said something or I could have done that differently or... Um, so it, for me, it's been a matter of just slowing down time a little bit so that I can get... Um, back to my intuition instead of being too swallowed up by the environment. And that's pretty much, um, that was pretty much part of the, what's been going on in my life in the last uh, couple of weeks. And it sort of culminated mm -hmm. with 
a deeper understanding about how these two work separately and together. So it was very interesting, actually. Mm. Yeah, that that kind of reminds me of the idea of like people who are psychically sensitive being like a thermometer or something and picking up the temperature of the room and the learning arc for sensitive or psychic people to contribute to the temperature or the ambiance of the room um, as opposed to only absorbing it. Um, Yeah, that's a big challenge for people who are hypersensitive. They're very magnetic. You know, they seem to draw to themselves uh, a lot of information from the surroundings, often picking up on stuff that um, um, they might be conscious or unconscious of. You know, it's more dangerous if we're unconscious than if we're conscious of it, because then you can sort of start to discern, you know, whether or not this belongs to me or where it's coming from. And that's a long, it's quite a journey, actually. But I was writing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was writing something today about this uh, clairsentience, if you like, you know, this, when you can feel things. And that was the solar plexus. It's a very active, self-protective kind of energy center that lies in the, the belly, the upper parts of the belly, a little above the navel center. And if it's, if it doesn't work too well, or if it's imbalanced and, with the other chakras, the energy centers, there can be a tendency to become extremely absorbent, uh, you know, to the surroundings and pick up uh, ailments and illnesses and physical pain. And, you know, it can be quite a challenge. You feel invaded, more or less. So in healing, we work with both principles, both radiation and magnetism. And if the radiating principle doesn't work, which is more a extrovert, fiery kind of quality, you know, um, uh, or a more like a presence or confidence and um, awareness and power, you know, if that's a little d- destroyed thanks to trauma or other distortions that can happen in your life, you get a little bit of a trouble participating or creating, if you like, because radiation is also creation. So um, I think a lot of, well, in my experience, a lot of people who define themselves as uh, or are challenged by their own sensitivity very often feel a little bit doubtful about where they should and how they should participate with their environment. What is appropriate? Is this my business, you know? How can I, and I don't want to be seen, like I need to be a little hidden, you know, so if I go out and I radiate, I'm suddenly someone, you know, that's when I become, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, to go out and radiate and then also feel the environment's reflection of the radiation as like a ricochet echo back. Yeah, and it doesn't mean you can't, you're you're still picking up, right? But it's it's kind of... um, it's, it's not a protection that has to do with completely closing up, you know, which is a very natural response if it's a too, too much. But it's more a, <clears throat> an awareness, you know, and a firm sense of boundaries that occurs when you start radiating. And that creative principle sort of invites in the concept of respect. Yeah, like you have respect and, you know, you demand without saying it, respect back. You know, you just don't get to 
manipulate my energy. You know. Uh, yeah. So I want to come back to this and mm. um, circle back to like, how did this line of thinking begin for you? Like in terms of your own life and your own um, psychic openness, what has your journey been with spiritual discernment? It took a little time for me to realize how sensitive I was because I always saw myself as a tough girl, you know, like I have a double trine in air and, you know, Aquarius, Sun and Capricorn Ascendant. So I can come off as a little, little cool, you know, like a little... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I grew up in a hard environment, you know, in a tough urban place where you had to be pretty tough to kind of you know survive so it became some sort of uh, protective mechanism for me and therefore I didn't I couldn't identify myself until much later when I really had to sort through all the uh, the issues that I got thanks to uh, hypersensitivity like withdrawal was one of my it's you, I can still go into avoidance or withdrawal when it's too much and um, and I also saw how how I developed certain survival mechanisms in order to kind of like deal with harsher energies. And and they sort of isolated me a lot from my environment. And when I realized that, I also remembered who I was when I was a kid. And that was a child who was a lot alone. I loved being alone. I was you know, a very um, creative kid. And I spent a lot of time underwater, which is also a very mercury, uh, mercury and Pisces thing. I just love water. And, and particularly underwater, right? I wanted to free dive and, you know, like it was like an obsession for me. So when I started remembering these things and I started remembering uh, who I was when I was a child, when I took away all the inauthentic expressions through my own healing, also, um, you know, in that process had a lot of, even before, when I was a kid, I had an out-of-body experience when I was four. I've always been a vivid dreamer. You know, I remember very well my dreams and they've been part of my life since forever. You know, and, and both my parents are Mercury and Pisces people, Aries with Mercury and Pisces. So we've always had a very open discussion in our house about dreams, about dream life, about telepathy. My father wanted to train me in telepathy. <laughs> yeah, I can sit, yeah, yeah, I can sit in the living room and I'm just going to transmit some stuff and you can be in the bathroom and you can see if you can receive it, stuff like that. He had a book at one time. So... And then I started energetically connecting with the plants and I managed, you know, I, when in the 1920s I started exploring energy fields, like I could feel magnetic energy and I trained my capacity to feel that and to work with healing. And then I had more out-of-body experiences and this time I could sort of steer them into walking through, uh, yeah, like there were loads of things I haven't quite, you know, studied at depth, but it was super interesting. And then there were these, especially these clairvoyant uh, moments where you just know things and uh, especially precognition in dreams have been very interesting for me to study because I've had quite a lot of it. And uh, everything from communication with cats, not like a cat whisperer, but just, you know, ordinary, simple way of communicating with animals, for instance, and um, 
also trees. I'm a big fan of trees, for instance. So everything that is alive has a vibration to it. And I've been very curious about, you know, um, how to develop my understanding of that for many, many years, parallel to the astrology, which is very cerebral in a way. But as astrologers, we are also dealing with people and... Um, to train your psychic skills is important, I think, uh, and it, it is very different from astrology, which is about radiating or speaking, right, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> In psychic, you're receiving, you're sitting, you're, you're, you're listening. <clears throat> and um, so back in 2014, I did a training called Soul Flow, and that's all about listening. You just, there's no control in that. You just learn how to navigate the inner worlds in a very interesting way, you know, accompanied by years of training in meditation. And then finally, Le Grand Finale, I think, was my training with um, a very particular German uh, healer. And that sort of blew my mind in terms of how to travel on the inner levels. That really... It's still a process that I'm, um, you know, working on uh, understanding. But he was really good. <laughs> you know, he was like, oh, that's mind-blowing. It's really like you're really here. So it's a lot of these uh, quantum entanglements and, you know, um, telepathy and stuff like that. I always found it incredibly interesting. And especially when now you have a little bit of science backing it up and I'm like... I knew it, you know, I'm very happy about that because yeah. it's it's making things a lot easier for me because I'm extremely sensitive on a level that is uh, uh, hard for me to kind of um, recognize uh, because my persona is so extroverted. Right. So you've got the radiance built in. <laughs> well, thank God for that. To be quite honest, I am so grateful for that. I thought a lot about that. I mean, I, I see the, the how incredibly um, challenging it is to be hypersensitive, you know, and if you can't organize the, the material in a, in a good way and it's being filtered through a low self-confidence, you can have people who, who can, you know, immobilize themselves, you know, not taking their, their chances and having lots of anxieties or being paranoid or, you know, like, I think we have a lot to learn about the inner worlds in terms of so-called mental illnesses, for instance. Right. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's so much so unused potential there, to be quite honest. Mm. totally yeah you know what you're sharing um has me thinking about there was like a distinct moment I think it was in 2016 where I was reading a book called psychotherapy and spirit and it was the first time that I'd succinctly come into contact with the idea that our spirituality is always in connection with our psychology mm. that the way we perceive oh. God the way that we experience psychic phenomenon is intertwined with our psychology. And that's been really key for me with spiritual discernment um, in terms of recognizing that if I'm in a, a paranoid moment or something, that there's a, a psychology to that. Mm. Um, and 
when you know you're talking about doing client work, for example, it's making me think about transference or countertransference and the the way that we pick up messages from another person. Um, and to simply have some psychological awareness in tandem with mm. spiritual opening, I think can offer so much clarity in these very, you know, undifferentiated waters that we see with Pisces, mm. for example. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. Especially, you know, when you said that, I, I, uh, it made me think of the importance of asking. You know, that's so important. You always ask, how does, how do you feel about that? You know, like if, like lately I've, I've developed my, there is something developing in me, like images. I can get these powerful images when I sit with a, uh, with a client and it's just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm seeing this, you know, and then I'm sharing it, but I'm trying to offer it as gently as possible. And it's, if it's, it's normally just beautiful things, like a very positive kind of radiating visualization in a way. It's, it's uh, strengthening, it's empowering. So I'm not afraid of, of sharing it in that sense, like scaring someone, but it's, it's, it's magnificent, right? So in the world of spirituality, in the world of God, if you like, things are uh, grand. They're magnificent. They're like, or they are very truthful. You know, it's like, whoa, uh, how do I communicate this? And is it something I'm imagining, right? Is this, is this my wishful thinking or my, my fearful projection? Yeah. So therefore, it's so important to ask, you know, and so important to how is this something? Does this tell you something? Or you just offer it very freely instead of um, throwing it at people in a way, you know? It's just, right. Yeah. I think that's where uh, we can get rejected and or we can create a reaction that we didn't see coming because we could have come from a very. Um, good place in ourselves like this was just a, a good intention right but I've paid a hard price a big price for not listening to my intuition you know and I think a lot of people can say yeah I've done that too you know like I wished that I conveyed these images that I saw when I saw them and then you know and and just figuring out how to translate them you know I, I see astrologers as translators and and psychics too you know there is this series I haven't seen all of it but it's on Netflix now and um, it was mentioned in an astrology group uh, online and I went to see it and it's life after death or death after something like that with a psychic from the United States and you can <clears throat> kind of see if you study the way that his energy changes when it goes into a reading you can sort of see that he is um he's moving into a place where he needs to actually be the translator that's the psychonaut that is the psychonaut that is mercury the traveler between the worlds and and it's traveling from every region in the psyche you know from the top to the bottom and not just every region in the, a person's psyche, but also in other worlds within our world, if you like. You know, there are so many uh, uh, levels, um, so many dimensions to, to speak of. And once you start recognizing, oh, now I'm here, you, you need that experience. And it's so nice to, to watch him read because I, I, I'm sort of like, oh, that's familiar stuff for me. You know, like, because I had to take my time getting... Uh, acquainted with where am I now 
I mean, there's a huge difference between being in your own projection or transference, if you like, and then being in a clear, intuitive state. And once you start recognizing the difference, yeah, it's very noticeable, actually. And once you start noticing the difference, it, it becomes not a problem if the person you're reading for carries some sort of uh, same life history for you and you don't get these uh, transference problems which I think is a very common not just in a reading situation but also if you meet somebody and it's like yes I'm exactly like that too you know it's uh, <laughs> it can reinforce something in your life that you don't want for instance or it's maybe something that you left behind or you know the neutral zone is where you get to the next level you have to be neutralized emotionally so I I like thinking about that (laughs) there's been certain charts for example that I get like clients that Mm. have a very same exact chart of like an ex or something (laughs) and I've watched it happen it's like five or six years and it's like a month after the breakup it's just gut-wrenching but I still managed to put that aside and give Mm. a reading Mm. you know but I it was a process for me and then six years later, I'm like, wow, this chart is still touching my life, you know, but it's just interesting now. Mm-hmm. And still, it's like moving that out of the way, but seeing some similarities between mm-hmm. that person that I used to know and then this client and just the curiosity of like, you know, why universe? Mm-hmm. Like, but it doesn't, you know, maybe it, earlier it was like, why universe? You know, with like a little bit more of an emotional intensity and now it's just neutral. Um But it is curious, you know, or like when I do receive clients that are going through something that I've recently gone through Mm. and just the kind of it's very enlivening to me that that occurs um, meaningful. Right. Mm. And there's still just this art of like being, you know, letting myself be out of the way while recognizing that there is a synchronicity at play or Mm. similar threads that have brought us together. Oh, well, wherever you are, there you are. Isn't that what they say? You know, it's like, there you are. Oh, there we are. You know, so it's like, uh, it's a, that's a Neptunian thing, you know. It's, uh, we're all in this together. And, and in the world of archetypes, you're destined to bump into your own story at one point or the other. But it is the, um, the level of your, your um, uh, resolution around these things, of course, that... Uh, that is very important that you feel resolved and that you're good with yourself and you don't feel like you always have to continuously improve yourself or be better or, you know, in one way or another, uh, have a, a kind of Puritan drive to, to figure everything out in a way. And right. yeah, I'm like, I'm happy with my imperfections in a way. And I know they won't be like that forever, but I'm not pushing it either. It's not like an, like I cannot, I, I can still walk into the world and, and have certain kind of qualities that I need to develop more. And it doesn't prevent me from reading other people's charts. But I've found that letting go of your ego there and then in the moment of reading it's just a matter of uh, neutralizing, quieting down a, a little bit of your um, subjective feeling about yourself. Like if if I it's, if it's very important for me to to be received positively, or if I put a lot of pride into my work, or if I'm not feeling safe within myself, not happy enough within myself, I would think you know I'm at a, a 
there's a larger risk of me starting to project or go into a transference mode. But the moment I let go of that and I'm like, I'm fine. Okay. You know, just because, um, my brother died doesn't mean that this person with the same chart is going to die, you know, stuff like that. There are stuff that is very hard to sit with when it sort of is something you can identify in your own life, really. Like for uh, like having kids, for instance, you know, and, and seeing uh, clients that come with, uh, with uh, something of a challenge with one of their kids and you could see, oh, dear Lord, I'm struggling with the same, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, to your point about quieting the ego, mm. I feel that's really valuable and there's something about having the self-lucidity and self-awareness to recognize those thought streams in the first place. And then from there to be able to like, you know, like settle down or like, okay, you know, to like just let it drift or soften a bit mm-hmm. um, as opposed to being so in the story or in the narrative of the ego that there isn't that level of detachment or separation from it. And yeah, yeah I find that there's a the kind of like self-disclosure, if even to oneself, of recognizing our motivations and our agendas and our desires and our fears and our hopes mm. in any given situation can go such a long way to getting to that place of neutrality. It's a lot about the desire nature. You know, the way that I can recognize my ego is that it wants something. <laughs> you know, it's not unconditional. It wants something. You know, I want... You know, I want something. I want this to move quickly. I want to fix this person. I want to have, you know, cred. I want to master it. I want something. And the art of surrendering is part of the whole Piscean archetype. You know, just surrender. You're not there to fix. You're there to see. You're there to navigate. You're there to translate. That's what I'm thinking a lot lately. I've been thinking about translation, you know, for a few years now because I sort of recognized that that's what I'm doing. I'm just translating something. I might not have the solution that they're asking for there and then. Then I would have to go in and and listen and see if there's any possibility that I can answer, you know, a client's desire, for instance, if there's any answer to it available right now or if it's supposed to be, you know. It's, it's a very uh, beyond control experience to read like that as compared to having an agenda or having it all figured out, you know. Um, so, so it's, it's <laughs> all who wonders aren't lost. That's what uh, Tolkien said. And it's like wondering, but you're not sure where you're going, but you get one signpost at the time. You know, it's, it's, um, and then of course you, you see where you can navigate further if there's possibility to go in deeper, etc. You know, and right. if the ego's in the way, you, you might have a push thing going on or, you know, like something, it has desire, it wants something. So that's a, a fairly good way to kind of recognize it. And it can put a lot of tension into work and life. And basically every place you need to be in a more surrendering mode, the ego is a challenge, right? So when union, when, I mean, in psychic service, we we go into union with someone that is not us, you know? We we lend our ears and our eyes to, to to an energy that's beyond ourselves, right? So... 
being able to do that also requires um, a capacity for surrendering and also surrendering your judgments in particular because nobody who judges can see the truth. That's hard, at least. You know, I see the preferred truth or I see, or I'm, you know, like people who are feeling judged won't open up. Yeah? So that's also something that I find very important. Um, not just, <laughs> particularly in my life, you know, and particularly in this judgmental world, and now I'm judging it. <laughs> yeah, I'm judging it now. I, I, I could hear that. <laughs> hmm. But it is very hard um, uh, for a lot of people to, to get there because, um, you know, um, this is the work that put me in contact with, uh, call it spiritual masters, right? This is where I need that guidance, that type of guidance. Not necessarily on uh, an external level, but more on an inner level. And it just comes yeah. to you, you know, the teachings that you need to hear. And, and um, particularly the, 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 the lectures about love have been very interesting. How to love? What is love? <laughs> you know? Because at the, um, the foundation rock of service is love, right? It doesn't carry racism, or it doesn't carry. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't separate. You know, it just says, okay. You know, if that person comes and asks for help, of course, you know, and this other person, then I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, separate them. They're equally human, in a way. Maybe one is full of sin, you know, and the other one is as pure as Mary, you know. But still, as a healer. Your work is to see without judging and see with discernment, which is a very strange, funny kind of paradox because love is wisdom. And in that, we see exactly what they're carrying. But it's not judged. It's not being judgmental about it. That's what I'm saying, you know. Yeah. Well, where do you find the line? Um, you know, I'm thinking about situations of even like advising people or like being in the tension with someone where um Pisces or this like sensitivity can go so far into mm. a realm of not even having a self and kind of being adrift or like offering too much of oneself or being in situations that aren't beneficial and still having a holy and spiritual experience but getting washed up into some kind of shore that's a crisis. Mm -hmm. And the way to avert said crisis would be to have better discernment. Boundaries. Um, boundaries. That, mm. Ego. Right. Then you need the ego, right? When you see that there's some sort of abusive pattern going on. And there's a lot of justified abuse in, in our world. We actually applaud quite a bit of abuse as well. Oh, she's so selfless. That's very often something you hear about people. She's so kind or he's so great. You know, he always helps. <laughs> and, and then later you, can, you look into the energy and you think, what's the reason for that helpfulness? Is there a selfish reason for being kind? Are there? Because there are. You know, some people are kind to be safe. Some people give love to get love. And that's, again, conditional. So being unconditional would also include having a very fierce set of boundaries because 
you really don't care what people think, right? That's also a pretty uh, selfless way of living. It's like, if I should care too much about this person who is highly abusive, for instance, let's say I bump into somebody who's like that, if my precious ego is feeling like, oh, I don't want this person to judge me, you know, I'm just going to stick with my whatever pattern I'm choosing, you know, and not telling the truth or letting this person take advantage of my energy or in any other way um, enabling some sort of bad behavior, uh, then of course I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, unconditional. Then I'm thinking about what that person is thinking of me. And that's how we let bullies get off with their bullying, you know, because we are afraid of their judgment. So we let them bully, right? That's such a good point. There's always those like little threads mm. of our motivations and tracking those can be so liberating. Well, I think, you know what, if, if anything, <laughs> you know, the soulful work, um, I can explain it how, a little bit how we do it. You know, in soul flow, we see the whole psyche as a set of sub-personas, you know, coordinated by the persona, again, coordinated by the soul or in contact with the soul. So there's like a higher tier, a higher captain, a higher organizer of your entire being that needs to be uh, that needs to be capable of synthesizing all the different sub-personas so that you can function as a whole, which includes the inner child, the inner woman, the inner man, the inner soldier, the inner critic, the inner this, the inner that. There's a whole plethora of sub-personas that you go into. It's like taking on different masks, and if you start over-identifying with them, they will compulsively probably take control over your life. Oh, right. So I've and, been working with this too. Yeah, well, it's, I yeah. would think, you know, this method is part of modern, it's going to be like a more futuristic type of psychology because it's extremely positive as well because you're not going into, you're not identifying necessarily. There's a mindfulness aspect with it. So you're not overly identifying with the trauma persona, for instance. That's just part of me. Yes, I see you're there, you know, and with empathy, not this, get away from me, this kind of resistance type of self-therapy where you are not happy with the compulsive part of yourself or the wounded part of yourself, and you're trying everything to get rid of it. It's, it's kind of antagonistic. But in this uh, particular method, we use empathy or love as a healer. You know, well, there you are, my wounded little child. You know, you, there's an inner method of working with it, like a, a technique. And um, the thing that really, really occurred to me was that in this process, this technique involves a question, you know, like you're questioning, you're asking questions to your own sub-personas, like, you know, this, about their strategies. You see that, okay, so is A happen, you will put into motion B, C, and D, and E, and boop, then voila, there you go. Three weeks later, boop, she's back again. I'm fine now, you know, I was just surfing Hades or whatever, you know, being swallowed up by this due to triggers. So we trigger it consciously in the soul flow just to get a little chat with it. And what I discovered was there's always a motivation. Why are you being such a people pleaser? Because this is what happened to me when I was a kid. You know, you get a, a very experiential experience of your own um, 
I like to call them um, compensations. And there's always, yes, and then, you know, very often in these guidings, I often uh, I often see people go to their, uh, uh, what they think is the problem, you know. This is what I think, I why I'm doing this. And then when I see that, it's like, oh, this is what you analyzed yourself to, you know. You got there by analytical tools. But what if, dude, there's a level deeper, what is the core need? of that sub-persona. And then you start to really have a liberation of energy that is quite amazing and that you can merge again with this very troublesome sub-persona and, and you will also see that there are some qualities there that are super good. For instance, the inner critique uh, very often is motivated uh, to uh, protect you. Don't you go and do something stupid again, you always do say. And it's very often a dialogue between two very contrasting sub-personas, like the rebel and the critique. It's like, you always do something like that. Always you have to talk out loud when you are in a situation where you are getting triggered and stuff. Can't you see I'm trying to protect you? And that's like when you get a, a very deep inner conflict between two extremely contrasting parts of yourself for instance you could also see it in the astrology you know like could be like jupiter versus mercury for instance you know mercury going yeah sure you're right and jupiter going listen up there here's the truth you know <laughs> they are scaring each other yeah so i like this you know it's kind of like the um when it comes to discernment about navigating, you know, different spiritual energies or energies in the room, this is like bringing it to the most local, like inner personalities and people in the room um, as a necessary kind of lens for then interpreting, you know, we're receiving information, but there's all these different parts of ourselves that are responding to it. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, very often you see, uh, um, you know, when there are personas who are not integrated, you get these shifts, you know, suddenly you see there's a shift in the eyes or you can see like, oh yeah, you're a shifting persona now. So who are we going to meet today? You know, Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde, <laughs> you know? So it's like, that's when you get like, okay, she just shifted gear to the rebel persona. All right, what can we expect? So if, it's very funny because in astrology, we train to not just understand the language of astrology, which is fascinating in and by itself, but we also, if we have good teachers, get to train to actually see these archetypes right there in front of us you know like I have three cats they are very different they have their own archetype you know it's like uh, so we train to see archetypes all the time and when we read transits or we look into the world situation we also see the ebb and flow of archetypes all the time so it's a very good study uh, astrology actually also bridging into the psychic realm because we're looking at the dimension of archetypes Right. And I think with astrology, it's so interesting when people begin to study their natal chart, there's mm. these different voices about like, you know, what's wrong with my chart and like, how can I, how can I like, you know, optimize my experience of my natal chart and just like mm. these different, mm. you know, energetics of ways that we could look at the chart. And those are 
personas in some sense too. Um, Absolutely. Every, I mean, Mars is the soldier, Venus is the lover or the mistress, you know, you know, there are, or the inner woman, you know, my inner woman, you know, if, if she's in Leo, she wants to give, you know, get a lot of riches and luxuries and she's feeling well with that, for instance, or if she's in Capricorn, she needs other things, you know, there's like the whole spectrum is there. Uh, but it also reminded me what you said there, you know, like um, <laughs> um, alchemy, which is also a part of the astrology wheel through its elements <clears throat> and how we can ground or uh, synthesize all these uh, contrasting sides. And it often comes through um, Earth. And I think that's why it's very uh, healthy that to have a lot of uh, Earth in your chart. And if it's missing... It doesn't mean you can't import it. You just have to learn how to. And I think a lot of watery, airy, especially the combination water-air is very psychically sensitive. It's um, almost debilitatingly so. You know, it's very strong um, for um, emotional impressions. And if it lacks grounding, um, I think, you know, as... You know, yeah. yeah. That kind of has me thinking about... Um, when people rely on divination to ask questions about people they're in relationship with, mm -hmm. like, you know, what does he think? Instead of just having the grounded conversation or, you know, like working on the relationship skill sets, mm -hmm. like when, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, when we interact with the psychic realm in a way that isn't also like taking on the ground practical steps to create a positive experience. Well, the planet of synthesis, I reckon to be Saturn. You know, it's, uh, that's the, the director. It's the one organizing, you know, it's the one regulating growth. Oh, you're not, not right now. You have to wait a little bit. You're not ready, darling. You know, like, it's like, oh, I feel prevented from reaching my potential. Uh, Saturn, I don't like him. Uh, but it's also a very uh, healthy principle and it's an earthy quality to Saturn it's very grounding and we all have a Saturn somewhere or another and it's really ensuring that we don't end up in some sort of spiritual bypass situation where we are receiving and also you know what we call these um, Kundalini awakenings that happens way too quickly and it's really too much for people to handle or they have psychic experiences that cannot really translate into normal understanding. It's really being... I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot of that, you know, um, going into fantasy worlds or, you know, wishful thinking or... You're, you're Pluto in Scorpio, right? Yeah. yeah. My experience, I ended up, uh, you know, going through a big initiatory experience because of it. So I think it all worked out for the mm. best. Yeah, well. Um, I wouldn't really wish it any other way. <laughs> but that, you know, in retrospect, that's how I describe my experience of, like, I received a lot of psychic opening that I didn't totally have the frameworks mm. or capacity to hold. So I had an adventure as a result. That took me time to integrate. Mm. Um, but it really vivified for me afterward the importance of you know, having conversations about the unseen, because it's something that, you know, if I think about Mercury and Pisces or about spiritual discernment, it 
You know, it gives me an image of like Alice in Wonderland or something falling mm. down the rabbit hole and like seeing the signs that are going in all these different directions and just being on a journey that's a little bit um, uncharted mm. or the staircases are always moving like in the Harry Potter hallways or something. And, you know, the idea that Mercury is um, not doing so well in Pisces from the essential dignity or traditional mm. standpoint, yeah, I think you know, points to, you know, one way that I've heard that described is just like the planet has a difficult time in that sign because of like contrary, um, you know, traits. So like Mercury being about naming things and creating mapping and Pisces is so, you know, nebulous and diffuse Mm -hmm. that I think a high, you know, expression of Mercury in Pisces, and I often see this with Mercury in Pisces natives, is that we do have our own way of creating discernment and being able to see things mm. that are ordinarily uh, diffuse or difficult to pin down. But the journey of getting there, I feel like was a little bit like, you know, just being put in this like misty, mysterious path where like the fog is covering the different pathways and it's like, go figure it out. And then after the adventure, having the kind of um, discernment. So I definitely, you know, made a lot of mistakes. Mm. There were times that, um, you know, I thought symbols meant certain things and I took actions based on Mm. the visions. (laughs) You know, like I've just had Mm. so many experiences uh, of playing with these energies that it's become a lot more with learning, with trial and error, it's become a lot more dialed in in terms of recognizing, yeah, what these what these promptings are actually about, you know, and when to wait versus when to, like, take the leap. There is something with that generation as well, Pluto and Scorpio. You have to, I mean, Scorpio, Pluto, the ruler of Pluto is, it's it's basically, you know, if we think of the modern ruler, it's it's in its own sign. It's in its own house. In a way, it's it's home. And um, it all has to do with power, right? So, uh (laughs) And there can I've I've seen a lot of you know uh, challenges with using energy correctly with that of course and even spiritual yeah. energies you know and I understand it because there's a need there's a thirst there's a hunger underneath so I have to have this power otherwise I won't survive I actually you know like that this is it's life or death actually you know with Pluto and Scorpio generation and um, but 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 of course you know I've I've seen it go completely wrong too in in I've seen it go very wrong in many ways like ending up in psychosis for instance but then there's something underlying it you know there are traumas and you um, and your generation carries a lot of these war wounds as I like to call them and, and it's a very particular generation you go extremely deep and sometimes those who wanders get lost right then, yeah well actually you know not, I want to Mm, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean what you're saying about like these different drives that can then in some sense corrupt the psychic opening. Mm. I really, you know, in terms of thinking about inflation and say like opening to psychic energy but then taking it personally and it's kind of like inflating mm. a limited space with something that's more infinite creates a you know, a ballooning that isn't great. Um, and I've had that, you know, I experienced that. I remember when I was like having my spiritual opening, I felt 
you know, supremely amazing <laughs> about myself, which was in some sense healing and compensatory for times in my life that I'd had low self-esteem mm-hmm. and suddenly yeah, I felt like exactly. mm. this king, you know, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm somebody, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting though, because after, you know, that experience exploded and kind of like it deflated I had to like really yeah. consider the error of the way you know and then reintegrate but I think that you know the kind of languaging that I think of now is like do people make it through the gate like you have an initiatory experience or an opening do people make it through the gate and have the integration or do they get stuck and mm-hmm. lodged in some kind of psychological pattern and eddy out in some karmic loop? It's about trusting authority, I guess. You know, like we all need teachers. This is a path for, for having teachers. And it doesn't mean you get an outer teacher. You might not find your teacher, but there's absolutely an inner orientation. There are guides on the inner levels, on a higher level than your consciousness. And uh, that's also... A, very humbling, you know, it's like, you ain't ready till you're ready, just relax, you know, just when I'm so ready, you know, and they also say in the, uh, in the India, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to just read exactly the correct things when I was uh, on my path, when I was around 20 years old, I remember reading, don't get lost in the cities, now the cities are these extra sensor, uh, sensory perception skills or whatever spiritual power you can get to you're learning like for instance sex magic right Ooh, you know or energy you know like oh i can feel energy i can manipulate something over here so that i can get something over there or tarot or astrology or all these spiritual sciences right if you um if they are being in one way or another abused because we want to become extremely powerful or have some fantastic skills that puts us at a much better chance of surviving in a, in a jungle of competitors, then of course I can understand why people would seek them, right? I can understand why we would want those qualities, for instance, not just because, you know, it's very needed to train this, the persona if there is an underlying gift there, that needs to be trained. That's another thing, right? But we can get so mm-hmm. eager on our paths and, and hungry for, for that type of power that we get lost in some of the glamours around it, of course. And right. yeah, and you see that, especially when you get into, uh, you know, uh, the, the watery element carries the potential for psychosis in it, you know, where you get extremely convinced that it's not you who's the problem, it's just everybody else who's crazy, you know. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 and of course, that skill, that talent, that capacity to read your environment and stuff, it get like drifting into a compensation for a lack of self-worth. And you even get megalomania, for instance, or people who are completely convinced, you know, about their uh, the validity of their truth. And eventually it starts uh, tearing at the brain and then you have to have some medications in order to stabilize the chemistry in the brain again, etc. and so forth. And a lot of these... Um, things occur after hormones are kicking in, you know, puberty. And um, I see them as potentials for um, understanding not just the, um, the, the real talents that are there, but also having a, 
good guides on your path. You know, what is this? If you're super convinced about something, you're not going to be willing to listen or there won't be enough humility to safely ensure the rest of the journey. Um, but stumbling and falling and getting up again, I think, is very important because we learn from our mistakes. And, and some are like... Some are not. Some are very careful, you know, not sharing anything and wondering if they're like. I wonder if I'm a little crazy. <laughs> some people don't go down the rabbit hole at all. I think because they ah, yeah, there's just a true. sense of fear around the unknown, mm. and yeah, then going into the rabbit hole. You know, I like that you brought up like having teachers and guides mm. because definitely that has been supportive for me and. Mm community as well. There was a time when I first was starting my astrology business where um, I lived in a town that just had a lot of healers. And Mm -hmm. I started doing a lot of reading trades with all different kinds of psychics and massage therapists and farmers. And like my life suddenly became lush because I was just like trading all of these like amazing things. Mm -hmm. But I had the experience of receiving psychic reflection very Mm -hmm. frequently And I got to see, um, I got to develop discernment because sometimes psychics, I felt like what they were saying felt really clean. And I was just like, yes, seen. And other times I felt layers of distortion, Mm. which didn't make me disregard the person altogether, but I just was able to kind of uh, filter, you know, and, Mm. you know, all, you know, even to one time years later getting, Uh, seeing a psychic on the street and stopping, you know, sitting in the chair and getting this reading that ended with like, you know, and there's this curse on you, like hire me again and I'll help you get rid of the curse. And I was like, no, thanks. Like, you know, I can feel the the hooking. Mm -hmm. And I think like, you know, it didn't, it didn't haunt me. I didn't go home and feel scared about it or something. But it's interesting because that same psychic said something to me earlier in the reading that really touched me and felt actually accurate. So Mm. I was able to kind of like uh, receive that without getting into this kind of weird power dynamic. Um, That's really important. And I think this is why we need good training among psychics, especially because it's about ethics. It's about, you know, not invading spaces, not going where you're not supposed to go, not going where you're not being asked. I remember having that experience of that was such a, like I was angry for years because it wasn't about me, you see. I came with my daughter and she had had, um, you know, she was newly born. And I went into the center where I worked and there was this one lady who worked there. I didn't know her very well. She saw my newborn and she looked at her and she was like, she's going to have a lot of health issues or something like that, she said. And I'm like, I, I wanted to, I really, I like my maternal instincts at that point were full on hormonal stuff. You know, I wanted to tear her face off. I swear to God. (laughs) I'm like, like I felt like a tigress, you know, just like her. Have you seen my claws? That's the most invasive, ugly, Thing I've seen in my life when it comes to psychic skills and it's exactly where I'm you know I think you know I, I hope I've managed to stay you know 
on a clean path myself, but it's constantly something that I'm trying to kind of reflect on. Right. I mean, to be aware of those potential abuses and then to still be a practicing astrologer or, you know, psychic, Mm. I think is, you know, people have a fear of leaning into offering these services because of the Mm. negative examples and so I think it is actually quite humbling and vulnerable to be in the arena, so to say. And I think that what you mentioned earlier about asking people how things land, you know, I I like to do that too with readings in terms of just remind people of their agency in terms mm. of saying things like, you know, let me know how things resonate. Tell me if something mm. doesn't to just kind of like create that um inform them that we're Mm. having a conversation and that I'm not just delivering something from on high, which, you know, generally I trust people to already come in with that level of sovereignty, Mm. but I do recognize that the image Mm. of the seer, the astrologer holds a certain kind of psychic, you know, mystical impression Mm -hmm. and to (laughs) not, uh, to not be, like unaware of that mm. and the power dynamic that that implies. That is so beautiful. You know, I, I, that is great. Absolutely. I mean, it's really considerate. And that's the awareness we can only get through walking the path, of course, but it could have shortened the journey a little bit if there were more focus on that particular aspect in uh, in um, in any type of training, actually. Uh, sometimes, you know, I've seen these... Um, when people want to develop their skills, it goes into some sort of competitive mode. And uh, it's not about being world champion in, in psychic readings. It's about uh, being humble enough to kind of understand your place in the things. And also, first rule for any healer, understand your limitation. This is beyond my the, the scope of my experience, or I'm not sure if I want to go there, or like have a, a real humble humility towards yourself as well not promise too much or take a responsibility that's not your own uh you know i don't want to carry that karma i try to keep it like a karmically clean thing you know all the time and uh, it's not always successful but through those mistakes that i've made i've also learned so much even though it was super painful oh (laughs) (laughs) i'm so humiliated you know like (laughs) but now I feel more free than ever with these things it's not so weighty because I understand those basic rules of you know where I can go and not go and it's also about being very very aware of the superstitions within people and the power of you know um, their convictions like don't tell me anything scary. That's also something I hear from clients. It's like, no, if you don't walk out of here empowered, I haven't done my job, right? My, this is to heal, to strengthen, to motivate, to uplift, and to give vision. You know, if people don't walk out of my office stronger than they came in, you know, that's on me. That's totally on me. You know, that's why they're, that's, that's, that's the reason I'm put here. That's what I believe. You know, they, um, Mm. even if it's the Pluto transits, it's like, oh dear Lord, 10 years of Pluto, how will I survive? (laughs) You know, that's my job to empower them. So they know that they will, of course they will, you know, sure. No problem. 
So that's also, a, that. yeah, just a little bit of know-how and, you know, like you've had your life experiences, you know, that tomorrow everything can be different. That's, you know, so the hysteria needs to go or the drama, you know, we see how dramatic everything is. Right. Unnecessarily sensationalizing transits. Yes. And the yeah. world in general, it's like, whoa, we're so on our edges now. <gasps> Did you hear? Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. You know, Armageddon. You know, we are so quickly running to that conclusion. Yeah. That's more like, I really feel that there's, you know, in terms of those sub personas mm. that... Um, the collective's capacity to take in all this extra information mm. that we have in this global age is like really hitting on our DNA. It's hitting on our survival patterns and like our biological reality. Mm. And a lot of this conversation around like nervous system healing, I think is like an evolutionary adaptation to recognize like, yeah, if like, information is triggering the survival brain it's, mm. and we're con chronically stressed out and chronically on edge, that capacity to perceive information neutrally is not there. Like we're already in an emergency state mm -hmm. or in a crisis oh, yeah. state. Definitely. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's selling. So that's why it sells all kinds of things you don't need. So it's like it's it's very profitable, but as uh, I, you know, if you've seen the Matrix, you know that Neo he manages to slow down time. You know he goes into his weird slowing down time motions where he's just like you know <laughs> the guy's hitting as quickly as he can, but he's still just chilling, and that's not randomly just taken out of nowhere. That's a thing. For healers and you people um my last teacher uh, showed me a lot of that without necessarily speaking about it but it is about slowing down time everything goes so quickly information from one human being to the other moves super quickly but you have to be a place beyond time right so that you can slow down everything that happens and then you won't be so reactive that's why it's so helpful to meditate or have time for yourself. But concentration and meditation into a still point will efficiently or effectively guide you into a dimension beyond time. That would be a natural consequence of concentrating for a long time. And bloop, you're through to the other side. And then suddenly it's like, okay, this is very hasty energy. This is very hectic energy. This is very dramatic energy. Here's a little bit of hysteria, some this, some that, some obsessions, whatever you have, you know, we're constantly being bombarded. But it's not hitting us the way that it would do previous to that state. So you're not in a sense of emergency all the time. And then you can actually create you can actually make conscious choices you're not so uh, in the world in a way you know, you're you're of this world as jesus would say but you're not uh, you know you're in this world but you're not of this world as jesus would say that's a very good um differentiation i think you know that's one of the most important teachers i've had um when it comes to understanding the yogic skills required to surf those levels, you know, and also the, the love part. But 
that was that's been a thing that's been with me for years and of course I'm probably paraphrasing it way too much but I feel it's important to remind people that you're in this world but you're not of this world and that's the space beyond this hectic day and night full moon mercury retrograde thing we've got going on <laughs> yeah it's also sensational right Oh dear Lord, have you have you where your blood moon? Now we have all these various moons that we are now it's a wolf moon or whatever, you know, it's like oh I wonder what's next is an alien moon, you know, like it's a, <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so it can be a world of sensationalism as well, astrology, and it's something that I constantly yap about because I think it's a little cheap actually. Of astrologers to do yeah. that. I think we should be beyond it. We are actually promoting sacred knowledge here. We don't have to do that. Let's encourage people. Let's strengthen them. Let's heal with our astrology. Right. Right? But then again, well, it's a free world. <laughs> yeah, no, there's so much out there. I, um, I really like to tap in you know, to my own channel as best, you know, like quiet that external noise in some sense and then offer from that place. Mm. And uh, I loved that image about the matrix Mm. and that like meditation kind of opening up that capacity to be in this world, but not of it, which Mm. essentially, you know, makes sense as we're souls that are on multi-lifetime journeys and earth is a stop that's not, you know, um, I want to come back to the, you know, this point about radiance and receiving and mm-hmm. thinking about, say, you know, just to like make it spicy, <laughs> the empath mm. culture, right? And this whole like empath narcissist spectrum mm. has, you know, it's interesting because it, it's some of the worst clickbait articles I've ever seen as mm. far as like sensationalism goes. Yeah, exactly. But that whole idea that like empaths and narcissists are you know, the way that I've come to see it, the narrative is often that empaths are good and virtuous and they're, you know, Mm. just victimized by the narcissist character. But the people that tie themselves the most to the title of narcissist um, are often in some kind of toxic entanglement through which they are also responsible. Um, And if I think about the narcissist being radiance to an extreme like Mm. they are radiating and they're not receiving Mm. and then the empath is like receiving but not radiating and so they are two (laughs) magnetic poles attracted to each other Mm. you know voila um but I think that you know when it comes to self-identifying as an empath um a lot of times when I hear that from people they're not empowered about it they have some kind of Mm. victimization going on about it and a story, a mapping around it of like they're beholden to the energy in the room and they have no power or they just feel what other people feel and they can't do anything about it. Um, mm. And I don't think that's the way, you know. It was supposed to I be. I think it can be. <laughs> yeah, like that's like a stuck part yeah. of the journey. I don't think that's the, mm. the end point of truth. The, the stories we hold on to, the stories we cling to, the stories we tell ourselves, you know, it's these narratives, they got to go if they're not healthy, if they're not promoting any kind of uh, responsibility, self-responsibility, it should definitely not be entertained. 
you know, so if people have this as a, some sort of metal in their jacket, I would very quickly rip it off, you know, take away focus from it and, and just get the conversation to a more constructive, empowering place. Um, but yeah, there is a certain glamour around this, like almost like it's a little bit glamorized to be an empath. And again, back to the glamour of having psychic skills or, you know, being someone special because you have that or... Um, and, uh, defining yourself as such because um, you don't know what to do about anything, you know, like it's overwhelming or you're stuck in some Neptunian loop where you, you really don't know what to do about it, right? You're just being overwhelmed. But um, seen from a non-dualistic perspective, you can't have one without the other. And that's the thing I think a lot of people need to understand these days that, you know, especially when it also comes to the masochist and the sadist, for instance, another polarity that we sometimes, um, you know, hear about. It's hard, these themes, because it's really about taking responsibility for what you can take responsibility for, Right your reactions to to a situation or to a human being and try changing that through also changing stop telling yourself the same story that you can't do anything about it or that you are so and so yes because i'm an empath that's just using it as a shield and as an excuse to not doing anything about it actually maybe you know there are no two stories that are the same so yeah you know I'm not judging. Yeah, that. for anyone's listening to this who maybe struggles with that, I really like the channel text by Sanaya Roman. I think they are very helpful for speaking to um, the process of becoming more empowered as a mm. sensitive person. Yes. And I think it often helps with, say, like when we're focusing on a fantasy image, such as an anxiety or a story, that's like a a not as empowered expression of like visualizing what we do actually desire or feeling, you know, more mythic stories that, mm. you know, not to the total end of inflation. Yeah, Joan of, right? Joan of but, Arc. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I've, you know, I've been there. And it's interesting though too, because when it comes to say like confidence or something, mm. um, coming up with psychic images for confidence, they don't, I don't feel them as inflation, but it is the sense of visualizing that I'm mm. appreciated when I enter a room mm. instead of holding the low level fear yes. that like, oh, no one notices me. Mm. Right. It's just like those different kinds of anticipatory stories and to like really feel them in our bodies. And so when mm. it comes to feeling like, you know, beholden to every other energy in the room, it would be like visualizing having more of a aura and having more of that radiant field you know, and like starting to invest in that part of ourselves to start to shift the pattern of simply being a permeable receiver of everything mm. else. Yes. And the thing is, like, sometimes it's also, why do you want to, why do you want to know what's going on inside another human being? Why do you care so much? You know, like, and a lot of people who grew up with, and for instance, uh, a mother in particular, the mother or the father too, who were in one way or another erratic in their psychological behavior or in their way of relating to the child, the child had to learn to read the parent, I wonder where my mama is now. I wonder who I'm coming home to, you know. The, the child was forced in order to survive to read its environment. And that's very often an underlying trauma for a lot of very sensitive people who become 
extremely good at reading, you know, to the point where they actually get into a room and they read everyone just to be sure that none of them are crazy or that none of them are hostile. And they keep forgetting that who they, they are themselves. Who are you? What do you want from this environment? What do you, who do you want to talk to? You know, it's, it's not about them anymore. And that's, um, that's a, that's a psychological, um, uh, healing that's required, you know, and it has nothing to do whether or not you're sensitive. You know, it's just a matter of understanding a survival mechanism, a trauma that's led to a certain behavior that's because of you wanting, you needing to survive, being safe, right? And that is also something I do not necessarily associate with being hypersensitive. That's being in a survival mode. Um, because sensitivity is consciousness. The more conscious we become, and that's why psychic illnesses are going to take over from physiological illnesses in the next century, because we, the, I mean, people are more advanced. Time is moving quicker in a way. At least our perception of time is moving quicker. We process more information than we've ever done before. We live closer than we do. We live in a collective aura that is now much more populated than I, it's it's double the the number of people that i had, that were around when i got born four million billion was there now it's eight you know it's like holy cow you know all these auras you know <laughs> we are like constantly bombarded by information and that's why we need to become extremely good at discerning what is what. What is my survival technique here? Why am I so scared? And what you say there, self-empowerment, which is also guiding them back to the self. What do you want? Who are you? What do you like? How do, like feeding, getting an ego again. That's cancer therapy, getting the cancerian realm of, do you like this? No. Well, then you don't have to eat it right? So you, you, you are, this is hard for Pisces, you are allowed to have a subjective opinion about something. <laughs> yeah, it's hard for Pisces. It's like, do I, is it, can I have an ego? You know, really? Isn't that really not a good thing? You know, it's like, it's maybe, so that's, that's, that's a core energy, a very conditional energy that we need to have installed first in order to travel the inner realms safely and without getting uh, injured or hurt. So that job needs to come first, I think, you know, and that's, uh, we can't skip those steps. It can lead to some sort of distortion and, and challenge. And sometimes it happens, right? right? And then we have to go back so. and fix it again. Thanks for that distinction about hypersensitivity versus um, being in a survival mechanism. Yeah, because I think a lot of people misunderstand a little bit, uh, you know, think it's a very, it's very, it's very good to be sensitive, you know, you can feel everything, you feel the quality of things, you're present, you know, in the moment, you're there, you can sense things. But it's not very good to be uh, fearful of other people's reactions or responses or thinking that you're not uh, welcome. That is a wound. That is something that needs to be healed first, right? 
But we all have our nature, and I think that's the power of astrology, the strength of astrology, is we can tell people, well, you have a lot of water and air in your chart, so it needs a little bit of extra understanding, you know. Sometimes you'll get into a situation where you will feel your own emotional energy and mental energy go a little, you know, you know, crazy. Maybe you feel your nervous system going into hyperdrive or something. There are things you can do to settle that, you know, like a sort of kind of alchemy that you can do on your own when you're in a situation that's stressful or taking you out of your center in a way. And for people with a lot of earth who are not that sensitized to others, who are not feeling others and lacking that kind of wanting to have a more connection, you can have like, oh, maybe you should try some water therapy, some watsu, you know, just feel it in. You go and give them some sensual therapy, some touch, some hang around some Scorpios and talk about feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Be annihilated. (laughs) No, but be with somebody who is in touch with your feelings, you know, for instance. Yeah, no, I'm joking because I feel like um, some of my very Scorpionic friends, like getting into the material of life with them will like, take take me to places that I didn't even know existed Um, (laughs) and it's amazing yeah yeah isn't it I love it well I love every sign people often say to me what is your favorite sign I'm like I learned something from yeah I do the more I get into it and especially today with all these backstabbing in the media it's like pop astrology is hard man it's like it's poor Gemini getting a lot of beef aren't you you forgot to mention that Geminis are also the prophets of the zodiac haven't you met Lauren Hill for instance, she's a Gemini, you know. So it's very important to remember the entire sign and not get lost in the world of memes, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> so, you know, on the note of quality astrology, where can people find you yeah. and connect with you? Well, <clears throat> I'm situated in Norway, so that would be a long stretch for a lot of your listeners, I think. But I am available online uh, through my website, sul at sulvit.com. Or Polaris Astrology is my nick on Instagram, YouTube, and on Facebook. So that's where they can find me. Um, I think okay. I'm. We'll leave those um, links in the notes. Thank and you. do you have anything you know that you want to share with us in terms of like your readings or any offerings coming up? Oh yeah, we yeah, good, great. Uh, well, we actually have a conference coming up that has to do with dream work, and um, it is a cosmic intelligence collaboration, and it's starting uh, the last week, uh, the last weekend of March, and then continues the the first weekend of April. And we're gonna have some. Uh, it's a little bit of uh, you know about this theme actually that we're doing and covering right now: spirituality, spiritual goals and aspirations, and and. And there's going to be uh, someone talking about the tarot, which is something that I think is going to be amazing because I've been diving into it myself lately. And I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a thing. I think I've seen a lot of people doing it at the same time. And then I'm going to do the dream work and the dream, the astrology of dreams. And yeah, so check it out. It's over at Cosmic Intelligence Agency. And that's the first thing. That I'm doing. I'm also uh, hosting a retreat in Finland, but that's not until the t- in June. So that will be on my website uh, if people are in Scandinavia and they want to learn about Chiron. And other than that, I will have some webinars, but I haven't planned anything yet. I wanted to do something actually energy healing chakra thingy. 
that's where my passion is for the time being. So <laughs> I might do that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, super. Thanks. Thank you for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast and you have something to say about it, I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality. This library contains several hours of content about the intersection between kind of create your reality teachings and astrology. And it includes one of my favorite talks I've ever given called Leo and the Evolution of Alternate Realities. Thank you so much for listening. Your reviews really support the growth of this podcast, as well as your word of mouth when you share this podcast with friends or post it to your stories on Instagram and tag me at Sabrina Monarch. Thank you so much. Thank you.